So we have three more weeks ahead of us in our series in uh, the, the Gospel of Luke, all of it leading up to Easter Sunday, uh, leading up to Easter Sunday here for us as a church that we are continuing our series until that day, but the story itself has been leading up to Easter Sunday. Jesus has announced that he has come, he's come to die to free us, to rescue us from our sins. And I was wondering this, this past week if I've been doing a little bit of a disservice to us uh, by assuming. We, we talk about how uh, Jesus has come to forgive us of our sins, that, that God desires to forgive us of our sins, but why does Jesus have to die? I mean, if he wants to forgive us, why, why doesn't he just forgive us? Isn't the more loving thing to do to just give us a blank slate? Well, I, I thought of a way to try to explain this to us, and, it's, and this is an important question to be asking because we can't appreciate Easter. We can't, we can't appreciate what Jesus is doing until we understand why he is doing this. Why do Christians celebrate so much in the death of a man? To explain why, why this, this forgiveness in this way is necessary, let, let me try to relate it to uh, our interactions with people. So when, when someone is wronged, whether that is damaging the person or property or they're harmed in some way or they're mistreated, when, when someone is wronged, uh, that person who wrongs them uh, accrues a debt, owes them something. That could be literal, it could be monetary, like if I damaged your property, I could owe you money. But there's also a relational debt, or a debt of justice, or a societal debt. Uh, let, me, let me try to explain this, and we'll use money. That's, that's probably the easier way to, to wrap our minds around this. If someone owes me $20, and I am forgiving them of that money, if I say, I forgive you, that doesn't make the debt of $20 just disappear. The way to get paid back when a debt is owed is the person either pays it to me or I pay it myself when I'm forgiving them. It doesn't just magically go away. Someone has to pay that debt. And if someone owes me $20 and I say, I forgive you, I am taking a loss to forgive that person. Maybe it's I don't go to lunch that day or I make some decision uh, differently than I would have if I had $20. I am taking a loss to forgive this person. And with a loss of $20, maybe that's an easier debt to forgive, but if someone owes me $20,000, me saying I forgive you probably means that I lose the house. Is that a debt that I'm willing to pay? Is that is something that I'm willing to forgive in that way? But it's not just money that, that we talk about. In, if a criminal, an actual convicted criminal, is allowed to go free, then society is paying that debt in the times that they recommit crimes. Or the original victim pays that debt for not receiving justice for what was done to them. In relationship, when trust is broken, when someone does something to me to break trust, I could either hold that over them or I have to work to, uh, to, to pay that debt down. You can't force someone to trust you. Like there's not a, a, a formula that if I just do these things then this person's gonna trust me. So I have to work as the person who is wronged to try to build up that trust again. I have to pay down that debt if I'm forgiving them. See, in these times when, when uh, someone mistreats someone, 
uh, or goes against them, there is a debt that is owed, and the only way to get rid of that debt is either by paying that down as the guilty party or by the person who is wronged paying it down in forgiveness. And what we see throughout the Bible is that we all owe a debt to God, that he is, is the perfect God who calls uh, us to live in a perfect standard that we all fall short of. And we all turn away from him thinking that we know what the best thing to do for our life is and then it blows up in our face. Or, or that we think that we have more control than we do but then something goes horribly, horribly wrong and, and we wonder why did this have to happen? And in all these moments we realize that we make pretty poor gods that we are in control of very little, that so much happens that we thought was the right thing to do, but it, but it wasn't. And we turn away from the one actual God in these moments. We uh, rebel against him and we accrue a debt against him. And in those moments that we hit our rock bottom, we see just how far away from him we've gone. We turn back to God and there are two possible options. We either pay down our debt to him, which the Bible makes very clear, the wages of sin are death. The cost of our rebellion against him is death. So we either pay that down or God himself pays our debt in forgiveness. And what we celebrate at Easter is that Jesus, fully God, fully man, has come to this world to pay our debt. He takes this cost that was ours, he takes this death that was ours, and he pays that down himself as the only person other than us who could pay that down. It's either us or it's God, and Jesus comes as God to pay down that debt. And we're spending time on this last week of Jesus as Jesus is going to that death, looking at what is Jesus talking about? What is he saying? How is he showing us that this forgiveness is possible? And now we're in Luke chapter 22, which is the, the whole day before he goes to die. This is the thir uh, Monday, Thursday, if, if uh, you know about the traditional church calendar. If not, this is a Thursday. Jesus dies on Friday. We can just follow the calendar that way. So this is the day before Jesus dies, and Luke wants to make something very, very, very clear to us. It's Passover. He keeps saying, it's Passover. Six times in the first 15 verses of Luke 22 says it's Passover. So when, when something is repeated that often, either someone needs a richer vocabulary or they're saying something is really important. And I think it's the latter. He is making it very clear that this is happening on Passover. The day before Jesus dies, he's having this meal with his disciples, which is the Passover meal. So that gets us to a question, doesn't it? What's Passover? Now, to understand that, we have to go to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 12 is where this occurs. Uh, you don't have to flip there if you don't want to. I'm going to try to summarize this uh, because I, I know that we're supposed to be in Luke chapter 22, and now I'm taking us back to the book of Exodus, uh, but, but I promise you, this will probably uh, help us to understand what's going on in Luke 22, but also to understand a little bit more of the significance of our forgiveness. So back in the book of Exodus, God has been primarily working through one people group in the world, and that's the Israelites. He's been working through them, and he says that he is going to give them a land that could be their own, that he is going to call them to go there. It's going to be a place where he can be their God, and they can be his people. It's this very intimate phrase that's used all throughout the Bible. This, this land that will be their own, where God can be their God, and they can be his people. Now, the difficulty with that is they're currently slaves in Egypt. 
And the Egyptians aren't very keen on letting their workforce go away. And in fact, when they're asked about being freed, they ramp up the mistreatment and the abuse of the Israelites. But God will not be thwarted. He will rescue his people. And so God sends two Israelite men, Moses and Aaron, to go to Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, and say, let my people go. But Pharaoh refuses. He disobeys God, which we said accrues a debt. That he's gone against this God, which accrues a debt against him. And so as, as punishment for that, as, as a way to show his seriousness of rescuing his people, the certainty that he will do it, and, and the significance of his power, he unleashes plagues in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh still says no. He refuses to let them go. He accrues a debt against the one true and holy God. And it's the same debt that all people have accrued, that all people have gone against this God, all have accrued this death of which the penalty is death. And the mercy of God is that he does not immediately call for payment from any person. But we get to a point in the story of Exodus 12 where God will call for payment, payment in full from the firstborn of the land. All have earned this debt against God, and God is asking for payment from the firstborn of the land, which is their lives. Because Pharaoh has disobeyed, because every person has accrued this debt, he has every right to call in this. But his mercy doesn't stop there. He provides a way that some people could be saved, that some could receive a, a payment, a partial payment for their penalty that they've earned. And, and we must, must be wondering, like, the, the cost is their life. What is, this, what is this massive thing that they must pay for? What, what is this huge sacrifice that they have to make that's, that's worth their life? Well, they take a lamb, and then they kill it, and they put the blood of the lamb on the door. A lamb? A tiny, dumb, insignificant animal? That's the sacrifice? That's, that's what's the, the, covering the cost that they have earned, which is their lives? How can that be possible? Well, to understand that, we got to go earlier in the story. And I, I know we're supposed to be in Luke 22, and now we're going to Genesis, and uh, it, it can't be really difficult to try to understand what, what is going on. There's a lot of flipping in the Bible. And, and so, again, we don't have to flip to Genesis, uh, but the, the hope is that as we can see how the story develops, as, as we look at Luke 22 and, and Exodus 12 and, and Genesis, and spoilers will be in Revelation in a little bit, uh, as we look throughout the storyline of this Bible, there, there is a, a theme that I think can help us understand Luke 22 and help us to understand the significance of our salvation. But the question was, why this lamb? Why, why is this the thing that rescues the firstborn uh, in, in Egypt? Well, it goes back to Genesis 22. And I said earlier that God has been working uniquely through one people group, that's the Israelites. And all of the Israelites trace their heritage, trace their history to one man, Abraham, that God called amongst all the nations to follow him, to know him, and through Abraham, he will produce this nation that will point all of the world to God. And Abraham, after a long, long time of waiting, has a son, his, his only child, his firstborn, a man named Isaac. And, and in Genesis 22, we get this really interesting, bizarre, kind of difficult to understand story where God calls Abraham to offer his only son, his firstborn, 
as a sacrifice to God. And, and he calls them to do this. Uh, again, we, we say that all people have earned this, this debt, have accrued this debt against God, and, and it's the mercy of God to not call for payment, but he is doing so here for Isaac. The cost from Isaac is the same cost for all of us, his life, and God is calling for payment on that day. Now, only Abraham knows what's happening. They, they're walking up to this mountain, uh, and he tells uh, Isaac they're going to go make a, a sacrifice. Talk about leaving out a significant detail. Just, let's go offer a sacrifice to God. By the way, that's you. Uh, but he walks up to this mountain, is going to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, uh, and they get up there, and Isaac asks this really important question that, that I want to use to, to shape the rest of our time. Isaac asks, where is the lamb? They're going to offer the sacrifice, and he asks this question, where is the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide. And they get up to this mountain, and they lie, uh, Isaac is laid down on the wood. Like, it's, it's very clear at this point what the sacrifice is going to be. There, there's no mystery anymore. And Abraham is about to offer his only child, his firstborn, as a sacrifice to God. But he hears a voice that says, do not harm this boy. And we get the story about this incredible picture of Abraham's faith, but there's a little bit more to the story. Because Isaac had asked that question, where is the lamb in Genesis 22? And they look over and there's this animal caught in the thicket. And they sacrifice that animal instead. That that animal takes the punishment that was supposed to be Isaac's, takes the cost that Isaac had accrue and covers that as forgiveness is extended to him in that moment. Where is the lamb? Well, well this animal acts as a, a sacrifice for Isaac instead of him, saving him. And, and then we get back to Exodus 12, and, and we have this moment where, where God says that he will call for payment from the firstborn of that land. And where is the lamb? Well, the blood of the lamb is over the doorpost. That is the sign, that is the symbol that, that they will be passed over. That's, that's where the name comes from. They will be passed over by judgment, by punishment, that they are freed, that their punishment has been paid for by this blood of another, by this lamb. This substitute is offered instead. And Passover becomes such a significant picture, uh, such a significant event to the Israelites. They, they, were, they were called to, uh, to treat it, to commemorate it as a feast every single year. It, it structured their calendar. The first month of the Israelite calendar uh, was done so, so that they could take Passover in that first month. It, it's the picture of how they were freed. Exodus 12 ends with God's people going free because of this event. It becomes such a huge part of their national and religious identity. And so they would take place uh, and, and eat the Passover feast every single year as a way to remember God's mercy, that their punishment was paid for by another. And now we can get to Luke 22. So in Luke 22, uh, we said that the, the scene has been set, that this is Passover, and Jesus sends his disciples to go and prepare for the feast. This is what everyone in the city would have been doing at this time, going and getting ready. This is uh, Luke 22, verse 7. It says, And then came the day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb uh, had to be sacrificed. 
The Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And so Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And we had read for us all the details about how they're going, how do they find the room that they're gonna prepare this feast in. And preparing for the Passover meal involved quite a few things. You had to go and get a lamb and take it into the temple. It was sacrificed at the temple. Then you would take it home and roast it. And there are certain herbs that you were supposed to use. There's a lot of symbols for all that. Uh, Then there's a a variety of side dishes, which includes bread and and wine. Uh, So all of these details going into it. And then when we get to the story of the meal, uh, which is verses 14 and 20, we, we might notice something. As we're looking at what's described in this meal that Jesus is having with his disciples, well, there's bread, that we should expect that, and it's there. there there's the cup that they talk about, this is the wine. Uh, but where's the lamb? We said that this was the focal point of the Passover meal, that this was uh, used to to symbolize and and remember what God had done, the price that was paid on their behalf in Egypt. This was the picture of it, that, that they ate this every year. It was so significant, but it's not mentioned here at all. It's not talked about. I think... It helps us when we're asking that question, where is the lamb that might bring out even more the richness of Jesus' words? This is verse 19. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. As we look at Jesus' words here, we are to have in mind Passover, which goes back to Exodus 12, which goes back to Genesis 22. And and Luke is making that very clear. He's bringing it up constantly, that this is the Passover meal, that this meal that they're having, you know the Passover one, it's happening at the time of Passover, when everyone was there to celebrate Passover. This is when the lamb was sacrificed at Passover. The meal they're having is Passover. Are we getting the idea that Passover is supposed to be in our mind? And then we get to the meal itself, and there is no mention of a lamb. Instead, we have Jesus say, this is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. So in this, as we are thinking about Passover, our mind is supposed to go back to Isaac who said, where is the lamb? And we are reminded of the fact that he was freed that day and the punishment went to another. We are to remember Exodus at this moment where where the firstborn of Egypt was, was freed that day and their punishment went to another. We are to think about our debt that we have accrued against this perfect holy God that we have turned away from, that we have earned this debt from him. And what we we do see in all of these times when this animal took the price instead, when the blood of a lamb paid the cost for other people, that it was never sufficient enough. It had to be done again and again and again. Because what did we say at the beginning? Who are the only people who could pay down a debt? It is either the guilty party or the one who was wronged paying it down in forgiveness. And now we have Jesus here in a Passover feast where there is no mention of a lamb saying, this is my body. This is my blood. Something new is happening here. Something new is occurring because this is my blood, not some animal, 
not some creature that has to be killed year after year after year, not some uh, ceremony that has to take place over and over again to feel this forgiveness. This is my blood. As we think about how Abraham's firstborn son was saved, as we think about how the firstborn of Egypt was saved, here we have the firstborn of God sent to die to save the world. Where is the lamb? Well, he's the one talking. He is the one who has come to pay the price as the only one who could pay it for us, as fully God and fully man. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And this is the idea that gets repeated over and over in the New Testament. In John 1, John John the Baptist is there. He sees Jesus coming to him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 5 in, in verse 7, he says, Jesus, our Passover Lamb, calls him our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed. Uh, 1 Peter 1, uh, 19 1 Peter 1.19 says that we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a, can you guess what the animal is mentioned here? Lamb without blemish or spot. See, before God saved the firstborn of Abraham by sending a substitute, God saved the firstborn of Egypt by sending a substitute. Now he sends his firstborn so that all of humankind can be saved from their debt, rescued from their punishment, given life instead of death. Maybe as, as we read this, we, we might think of how we celebrate this. Yes, at Easter. We celebrate that Jesus has come to pay this price that that either we had to pay or God would need to, and God chose to pay it by sending his son to die on our behalf. That's why it's so significant to us. It's why we we remember this. This this last supper that that Jesus has, it gives to us a tradition that that we have, that churches throughout history have had, that, that we take communion. We take what we call the Lord's Supper together to remember exactly this event. We do that on the first Sunday of every month, and I so wish that today was one of those days. It's such a natural way to lead into it. But but we'll just try to remember this for next time uh, communion comes. So remember this part, that in communion, we celebrate the fact that, that God is one who's had a history of showing mercy in Genesis and Exodus, and that he is one who's paid the ultimate price so that we could be saved by taking this death that was to be ours. But it's also a time that we look forward. We look forward to Jesus coming back because what's the most used image of Jesus in the book of Revelation? I told you we'd get to Revelation. What's the most used image of Jesus in Revelation or our peek into what the future holds? It's that of a lamb on a throne. So we remember what Jesus has done for us until the day we get to Revelation 19, which says, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the lamb. Because where is the lamb now? Well, he is risen. 
He demonstrates that the forgiveness that he offers is true and lasting and real by rising from the grave, conquering death, demonstrating that all he said was true, and now he reigns and rules on his throne as he will forever. Where where is the lamb now? He is on his throne, as Revelation 19 tells us. And as we look at the storyline from Genesis 22 to Exodus 12 to Luke 22 to Revelation 19. Really wish I could have found something in like Revelation 12 that fit, but just to keep that two and thing going. But Revelation 19 is better uh, than what I could find. As we look throughout the storyline, maybe we can understand a little bit why Jesus says, I desired earnestly to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Because this is a meal thousands of years in the making. The ultimate question, uh, answer to, to Isaac's question, where is the lamb? Well, we see Jesus go up on a mountain and die in our stead as the ultimate answer to that question. Where is the lamb in Egypt? Well, this picture of the blood that saves the firstborn points us to the firstborn who sheds his blood so that we could be saved. Where is the lamb at this, at this Passover feast? Well, he is there seated with his disciples before he goes to pay this debt. Where is the lamb now on his throne? reigning and ruling, as Revelation 19 tells us. So you could tell the whole story of the Bible with a lamb. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And, and so I want to I end with this. Uh, so, so what? Like why, why do we need to go through all of these different passages to try to understand Luke 20? What, what does that have to do with Luke 22? What does it have to do with our lives? And as a quick, simple answer to that, and we've said it multiple times, Luke, the author, keeps talking about Passover in this section. We, we should be thinking of this with Passover in mind, so we dug into some of the background to see what does that bring out? What is the significance here? But I think it's significant for us because it helps us to understand a very crucial piece to this last few days of Jesus' life that he is about to go and, and, and go through things that we might look at from the outside and think that Jesus is being taken where he doesn't want to be. He's about to go through what can only be described as, as the most excruciating night anyone's ever gone through. He's gonna be beaten. He's gonna be whipped. He's gonna be mocked. He's gonna be ridiculed. He's gonna be blasphemed. He's gonna be condemned to death. And then he ultimately goes and dies on a cross. See, sometimes I don't think that we're as gracious to his disciples as, as maybe we ought to be. That they all go back to their lives after Jesus' death. But if anything was gonna give someone doubt, rattle their faith, isn't it seeing Jesus go through this? I mean, how can we trust in what he said. He said that, that he has authority, he has power, and then he goes through all of this. Why would we follow him if this is the end point? See, as we look throughout all the story, it looks like Jesus is being taken into places that he does not want to go. And yet, when we look at the storyline, question that Isaac asks, that we see greater fulfillment of in the Passover, we see full fulfillment of 
in Jesus' last meal. Because what we see in through all of this, as it looks like Jesus is being taken where he does not want to go, it actually is something that God has been planning, God has been pointing to from before time. That no part of this is ever outside of his control. What started on a mountain with Isaac as Abraham's firstborn ends on a mountain as God's firstborn pays this cost for us. And think about how much that shapes us, that this is our God, this God who's been in control, who continues to be in control of all things. That is who our God is. I mean, how does that change our week? To know that we have a God who's in full control. How how does that change the difficulties that we go through? How, How do we hold out hope when we receive that diagnosis? when we are, are going through hard, uh, a hard time finding work, when we are having difficulty trying to find someone to hire to work, and all that time we've been carrying that stress. How, how do we hold out hope uh, with layoffs coming or with our kids, our grandkids not going to church? In the midst of what would be the worst times, and we would certainly say what Jesus is going through are the worst times. In the midst of the worst times, we have a God who is always in control. And he demonstrates that by his promises that have happened from the very beginning that he keeps in Jesus, that he will keep even further down the line. Second thing that I want to focus on is is we've talked generally about what Jesus has done to pay the debt of the world. But but let's press in on that a little bit more. Jesus has paid your debt. We talked right at the beginning uh, about uh, questioning God's love, that, that if he wants to forgive people, why can't he just do that? Wouldn't that be the loving thing to do? And yet what we see in him coming to this world him living a perfect, sinless life, and then him going to the cross is the ultimate picture of love. What is more loving than having God himself bear that debt that we have earned, bearing it even to the point of the cross? That is what Jesus has done for you, for me, that our whole lives are one is, is crying out that question, where is the lamb? That, that we all have accrued this debt. We all have turned away from him. We all have looked at the wages of our sin and wondered how, how could that possibly be paid for? How could that possibly be covered? Well, behold, the lamb of God who takes away your sins. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful that you have been showing mercy to humans for as long as there have been humans. That you know us, you know that we easily and often go astray, and yet you provide mercy, grace, a way back to you that what you've been pointing at from the beginning of, of the, the cost of our sin being death, a way for that to be covered, you bring fully by coming to this world yourself, offering lasting salvation. 
lasting forgiveness. That this picture you've given of a lamb as something that can act as a substitute for us, you come as that lamb, paying this penalty, showing the ultimate picture of love that there is by bearing our debt, taking that from us and giving us life instead. We can never, ever possibly repay you, but that's what makes the story so wonderful, that you have already paid that, that there's nothing left to pay. So it's you and you alone that we pray.